All right. Welcome. Um, we have a report on the Rambam here from Yochanan. Yochanan is going to give us a report, and uh, and uh, now everybody can uh, listen. Yeah, you have to sit down. It's a fireside chat. Yeah, like with uh, Prager. Prager, like Prager University. Turn on the mic. Make sure you got the mic on. Start it off. <laughs> okay. This is a general report and overview on Maimonides. Rabbi Moshe Ben Maimon. As many know by his acronym Rambam, or in Latin, Maimonides, was born in Cordoba, Spain in 1135. He was a physician, a philosopher, the author of the Mishnah Torah, and a popular leader with, with tremendous courage and conviction. Rambam came from a long line of rabbis and judges. In the beginning of his life, he was a jewel merchant who later became a physician. He had studied Jewish law philosophy, and other religious texts during his time in yeshiva. In addition, he also pursued the field of medicine as he saw the importance of caring for the spiritual and physical well-being of others. His studies of various medical disciplines led him to become a skilled medical physician, which made him highly sought after, so much so that he was able to serve as the court physician to the sultan in Egypt. <clears throat> The sultan that Rambam served under was a prominent Muslim military and political leader who was known for his military prowess and his efforts to unite various Muslim territories against the Crusaders. Despite their difference in religious backgrounds, Sal Saladin had, a great, had great respect for the skills and knowledge, knowledge in medicine Rambam had. The protection of Saladin allowed Rambam to practice medicine and pursue his scholarly work in philosophy and Jewish law. Maimonides held highly controversial opinions, which did in fact go against traditional rabbinic opinion at the time. Later, many of these opinions would become the dominant opinion amongst the Jewish people. Just a few of these controversial beliefs were, number one, he believed the belief that rabbis should not be paid for their services, but should have other occupations, and that they should only earn their keep through their livelihoods. <clears throat> Two, the belief that not just academic or expert readers should have access to the Torah, but also the common people. And three, he was open to understanding non-Jewish wisdom, which was not well respected amongst many groups of Jews at that time. Maimonides was heavily influenced by the philosopher Aristotle. A concept of his that he would discuss was the concept of, concept of uh, excess and efficiency in relation to positive character traits. <clears throat> he drew inspiration from Aristotle's well-known book called The Nicomachean Ethics. According to Maimonides, Aristotle's ideas can be applied to various positive character traits. The concept, the concept is 
that virtue lies in between the two extremes of excess and deficiency. For example, having too much courage can result in recklessness, while too little can lead to being cowardly. Or an excess of generosity can result in going beyond one's reasonable limits, while too little can result in stinginess. He strongly emphasized the importance of moderation and balance in cultivating positive character traits. He believed that by avoiding extremes and finding the right balance, individuals could develop virtuous qualities for leading a more fulfilling and ethical life. During his life, he strongly emphasized several key points, including the pursuit of knowledge and intellectual development through the study of Torah and secular disciplines. Two, the importance of ethical behavior and moral conduct in all aspects of life. Three, the integration of reason and faith, advocating for the use of philosophy to deepen religious understanding. Four, the value of tzedakah, acts of kindness, and social justice. Five, the belief in the oneness of God and the rejection of idolatry. Six, the significance of prayer and devotion in connecting with God. Seven, the concept of free will and individual responsibility for one's actions. Eight, the idea of the afterlife and the belief in the resurrection of the dead. Nine, the pursuit of moderation and balance in all aspects of life. And 10, the promotion of unity and harmony within the Jewish community and beyond. These points reflect some of the core teachings of Rambam throughout his life. Uh, Rambam had a wife and one son known as Avraham, who also had writings and teachings of his own. Eventually, Maimonides settled in Egypt as a prominent leader and scholar in the Jewish community and later died in Egypt in 1204. The contributions Rambam had to various fields such as law Philosophy and medicine have solidified his status as one of the most respected and influential figures in Jewish history. Jewish history. That's it. Outstanding. He also has his 13 principles of faith. Did you mention that, Ed? Mm, I don't think I added that. So yeah, I put it up here on the screen. Right? What are they? What do they mean? That's a good question. Let's go through them. We could go through them. The Rambam's thirteen principles of faith, which has become like like yeah, the core core to Judaism essentially. So um, number one, it's up there. God exists. Um, so, what does that mean to you, Yahoo? Well. You have to believe in the existence of, of, of God. You have to believe in the existence of a ship. Okay, number two, um, God is one and unique. I am a trinity. <laughs> There's only one. There's only one. You want a mic? Should we get this mic? God is not a trinity. What would you say? God. And you can't compare him to anything else in this world or in the universe. All right. Um, 
God is incorporeal. Um, meaning? Non-physical form. It doesn't have, it's not contained to a body. Atsuyahu said non-physical. But I think he had, he, he has some physical parts she of him. That's right. Not restrained. Not restrained, physical only. There you go. Um, number four is God is eternal. Um, no beginning, no ending. No, he's not constrained to time either. Um, number five, he exists outside of time. God is eternal. Okay. Number five, prayer is to be directed to God alone and to no other and to no other. Um, I think, obviously, yeah, I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. I think some of these may be in direct, um, what do you call it? The yeah, response to Christianity, yes, I think so. That's a, but it could also be a response to other pagan, pagan religions as well, because the, pa pagans will pray to many other gods and other things like that, so. Uh, the words of the prophets are true. Um, so the words of the the, so the Tanakh that we have, um, other words in there are true. Um, where, where do we where do we get the idea that there's no prophecy anymore? Was it was that brought down as a colloquialism or? Mom, my my wife said she thinks it's in the Talmud somewhere. I mean, the the, um, the Hasidic movement, you know, it's called something different, you know. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's written down in the in the um, in the uh, Zohar and other writings that seem pretty um, prophetic. Mike, Mike. <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't think they're trying to say that prophecy doesn't exist anymore, but there will not be like, a, like a single prophet who is the single mouthpiece for God like um, there was in the Tanakh. I don't think it means that people won't be able to prophesy here and there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Judaism is not a non-profit organization. <laughs> yeah, who said that Judaism is not a non-profit organization. It's a for-profit, <laughs> definitely profit organization. Parker was actually saying that he felt that um, that profit, when it's, well, when... I forget like what the word is actually when it's translated as prophet. He said that it would be better. Yes, Navi. It would be better if it were translated as spokesperson because of the, um, I guess, the ideas and things that are associated with prophet, particularly when it comes to other religions, even other monotheistic religions, that it would be helpful to have it translated as spokesperson because prophet has all of these other um yeah visionary a, a person uh 
maybe giving a, yeah, a fortune teller, you know, these kinds of things that are not associated with uh, how the Torah sees someone who is being a spokesperson for uh, Hashem, if that makes sense. So, but anyway, I just wanted to add that. So, all right, let's continue. Uh, Moshe's prophecies are true, and Moshe was the greatest. Sorry, number seven. Moshe's prophecies are true, and Moshe was the greatest of the prophets. Yeah. Okay. And the written Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and oral Torah were given to Moshe. Yeah. That's I. That's also self-explanatory. I don't know. Anybody has any questions about that? It is right there. There'll be no other Torah. And then the next number nine is there will be no other Torah. And also Yeshua Yeshua confirms that. <clears throat> um, uh, number 10, God knows the thoughts and deeds of men. Um, so he's like om, omniscient. He's omniscient. Like he knows everything. He knows everything that's going on. Um, um, God will reward the good and punish the wicked. Um, um, and I think, I think that's just saying God is just like there's, there's justice. So even though maybe the good, maybe, um, the good may be oppressed here and the, the wicked maybe, you know, are reward or maybe feel rewarded or they're, you know, nothing's happening to them. It's not going to, um, There'll be justice eventually. Um, number 12, the Messiah will come. Um, and number 13, the dead will be resurrected. So that's this number 13 is a pretty big um, differentiator between, you know, I guess Judaism uh, and like, or one sect of Judaism versus like, the Pharisaical sect versus the, the Sadducees. And also, like, Orthodox Judaism versus conservative and Reformed Judaism. Conservative and Reformed Judaism. Also. Number 12 and 13 are optional. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we, we used to have a conservative sador in our old, um, our old uh, former synagogue in California. And they, when it says, which means, um, and you, um, you will resurrect the dead. Instead, it says you give life to the living, or something like that. It didn't. It didn't want to say that God will resurrect the dead. Um, but did yeah. but we said that then, right? Amida. Didn't we say that we didn't follow this, that sedur or no? We said it in Hebrew, but I'm saying that the English translation. No, but when we were there, we were, when we were at that synagogue, they didn't they didn't say they said that they would resurrect the dead, right? Didn't they have that? Was it, or that they did they do it this reform way? I don't know, but we did it in Hebrew. I don't know what yeah. they said in English. Okay. I had a question about number seven. Where's the Torah or the Tanakh, for that matter, confirm number seven of Maimonides' principles? Where, say that again. Where does the Tanakh or the Torah confirm that number seven is true? Oh, just the fact that the Torah is from Moshe. That Moses was the greatest of prophets. Where does the Torah say that? Well, the Torah says, you know, with other people, I, I with other prophets, I speak to them in a vision. 
or a dream, but not so with my servant Moshe. I speak with him face to face. So Hashem himself kind of said that his relationship with Moshe was was more direct. I think know, for also for, for Judaism, we, we say, we may say this because that's where the Torah, that's how we got the Torah. You know, like we believe that the Torah is from Hashem, but the way we got it is from through Moshe. So that's why we give him more honor. But it doesn't, I don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily say exactly like he was the greatest. It says he's the most humble. I don't know. Yeshua might have confirmed. I don't know. Yeshua might have said something to that in level, but we should look. Google it. All right. But thank you, Yochanan, for your awesome report. And if you have any questions for Yochanan, he's right over here. He can ask him any questions. No, exactly. <laughs> Oh, if you were to ask Rambam one question, what would you ask him? Sorry, I won't be taking questions. If I were to ask him, that was actually a good one. I'll take that question. Um, I would ask him one question. I'd ask him. Uh, I'd probably talk to him about Kabbalah. Oh, okay. Yeah, probably. He's not the guy I would talk to about Kabbalah. Yeah. Uh -huh. He didn't work <laughs> So I'd ask him but why. But that would be good. I'd, I'd ask him why he's not for it. That would make sense. Pride him, he prided himself in rationalism. And one of his one of the reasons why he compiled the Mishneh Torah was to remove all the superstitious um, um, things from... So there's a lot of superstitious things in the Talmud, like do this because there might be demons in the toilet, you know, stuff like that. And he did, so he didn't he didn't write those types of things in his Mishneh Torah. He was like, I'm only writing things that are rational, not superstitious. And um, uh, he he helped the Yemenite Jews in a special way. He 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 guided them and counseled them. And so because of that, the, the Tamani, they follow his halakha, they follow the Mishneh Torah straight, whereas most other Jewish sects follow um, a version of the Shulchan Aruch, which is more Kabbalistic, and the Mishneh Torah is not Kabbalistic. I read parts of it. The guide for the perplexed, he teaches that a Jewish man was to teach his son how to pronounce the sacred name once every seven years. Which versions? Only one version. <laughs> no, maybe one Which version of the name? Yeah, because that goes down into the the yeah, Kabbalist, uh, Kabbalistic aspect. You know, there's 
it expounds, right? So the name is mystical to begin with. So how do you do that rationally unless he has his version that he he learned was the correct way to say, which I think um, so, can get people track anyway. So I from there's a there's a there's a famous Kabbalist, Rabbi Abu Lafia, and um, he he was a big Kabbalist, and he in his writings he teaches, he taught his Talmudim to say the sacred name in all permeations, all like many many possible ways of pronouncing the sacred name, and just to remind everyone, we're. Okay, now this is very controversial things that we're talking about right now, right? But um, hold on. Um, the ban is only on saying the sacred name publicly. There's no ban on saying a sacred name privately. Um, and. There's, I also heard about um, an ancient Siddur that also taught to say the sacred name privately in certain ways. Say, like, so remember, the name of Hashem is, is a verb of being. It's, it's based on the verb Haya, which means um, he was, it's to be, right? And so when we say it one way, we're calling on the one who is, meaning who is the existent one, the one who, the one who needs nothing else to exist. If we call, if we say, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know the ways to to pronounce it. I'm sure Julian does because I think he might do these meditations, these Kabbalist meditations. If you pronounce it a different way, um, you would be saying the one who was calling on his like how he's been eternal, like he's been living for a long time. And, you know, just different things like that. You know what I mean? Like, so depending on what aspect of his nature you want to call on, um, you would say a certain type of thing. I don't know anything. I do not pronounce a sacred name. <laughs> and you were not supposed to in public, but I know that some Kabbalists do. And this is kind of like hidden information. Not a lot of people know this, you know, but some Kabbalists do know this. I don't know if anybody was uh, turned in this week or the last few weeks that uh, uh, Rabbi Katz and Donald Katz and several different prayer meetings and uh, he used a variation of he in his uh, meditation techniques he used a variation of Hashem's name. I think it was done respectfully. Um, I think it, he doesn't say the hey he says K, but. Um, and then he says to when you do it public uh, personally, then you you shift it from K to A. Can you write that rabbi's name in the chat? I'd like to look into that. No, uh, the the meditation. Using the K. Abu Lafia is A B U L A F I A, if that's what you're asking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he, he he's he's no longer alive. He's he's a rabbi from yes, Abu Lafia. Thank you. Yeah, that's correct, Abu Lafia. 
fun word. Well, this this rabbi also did ecstatic utterances. So it's kind of it felt felt very Pentecostal to me. <laughs> but he's an Orthodox Jew. He wasn't Christian or Pentecostal. He's way I think he lived way before the Pentecostal movement too. So he wasn't Pentecostal. I'm not saying he was Pentecostal. I'm just saying that it's interesting that there are these things in Judaism as well in the Kabbalistic world. Are we done for the class? So, uh, I was going to say, 